In late September 2022, Hurricane Ian developed in the Western Caribbean and threatened to track northeast and impact the west coast of Florida as a major hurricane. As Ian intensified, I drove to the impact zone to get the lay of the land, forecast wind and flood conditions, and document the impacts. This podcast is our first in a series of podcasts about Hurricane Ian. It covers the early days of my field work, including positioning for landfall, experiencing the incredible winds, and making my first damage assessments. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. GeoTrek loves to get out on the ground and document the impacts of extreme weather and natural disasters. So of course we were on the ground before, during, and after the landfall of Hurricane Ian. You're going to love this podcast if you're interested in tropical weather and better understanding the impacts of powerful hurricanes on our coastal communities. If you're new to the podcast, GeoTrek travels the world to find stories about the relationship between people and nature. Our stories investigate the impact of extreme weather, disasters, and hazards on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you understand better how the world works so you can take actions to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient from all the extremes Mother Nature can throw at us. Hey, before we get into this episode, we have a favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate if you'd take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark progress, which enables us to make more professional partnerships moving forward and ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. Hurricane Ian made landfall on the afternoon of Wednesday, September 28, 2022, on the island of Cayo Costa, near Fort Myers, Florida, as a Category 4 hurricane with maximum sustained winds of 150 miles an hour. I drove down the Florida Peninsula the day before landfall, looking for the optimal place to document the storm. The day before landfall, the eye was projected to come ashore around Siesta Key, near, near Sarasota, Florida, just south of Tampa Bay. I rolled into Sarasota with a 10-day supply of food and water, as well as 10 gallons of gas, anticipating that I'd encounter a boarded-up ghost town. You can imagine my surprise when I encountered a fully operational Sarasota with few buildings boarded up and most small businesses running as usual. This was my first indication that West Florida might be in trouble from this violent storm. I wanted to get south of landfall, so I drove to a town called Venice, my goal was to document the most extreme and wind, the most extreme wind and storm surge conditions I could find without losing my vehicle in flood water. I expected storm surge as high as 10 feet in the region based on the track and intensity models at the time. A local resident pushed back when I advised him to be prepared for two to three feet of water in his home that stood at seven and a half feet. He said he had lived here his whole life and he knew what to expect and really wasn't very receptive to discussing the storm forecast with me. I encountered another man who told me that hurricanes never make landfall near Venice because of ancient Indian burial grounds. This matches the perspective of a woman I encountered 10 years before at nearby Siesta Key. She told me that hurricanes never hit there. They always strike north of there or south of there. After unsuccessful attempts to find a parking garage in Venice to elevate my car above the floodwaters, I drove 40 minutes to the southeast to a town called Punta Gorda, where a downtown parking garage provided views over a small urban landscape. The 11 o'clock a.m. advisory from the National Hurricane Center that day before landfall increased the storm surge forecast to 8 to 12 feet for this region of the coast, including Punta Gorda and Port Charlotte off Charlotte Harbor. With much of Punta Gorda between five and seven feet of elevation, this would probably mean I'd see at least several feet of storm surge washing across this landscape the next day. 
I successfully made it to the parking garage before access was cut off and then got the lay of the land as Ian churned closer over Worm Golf water. I car camped in the garage on Tuesday night as the winds picked up and the first bands of Ian's rains moved in. Ian made landfall on Wednesday afternoon around 40 miles south of where it was forecast to make landfall the previous day. Ian's new track brought the eye right over us in in Punta Gorda with what were likely cat two winds in the first half, around 75 minutes of relative calm, then the strongest winds during the second eye wall hit on Wednesday evening. Our location observed cat four winds on the backside, but no storm surge. However, storm surge inflicted catastrophic damage in nearby Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel Island, the city of Fort Myers, and Cape Coral. As, I, as Ian's winds increased in Punta Gorda, I made two friends in the parking garage. John is a storm chaser from Oklahoma who has experienced a lot of experience chasing severe weather and tornadoes on the plains, but was documenting his first hurricane during Ian. Jose Garcia is a meteorologist and tropical weather enthusiast who grew up in Puerto Rico, but now lives in Maryland. He drove through the night and arrived without sleep to join us in the parking garage. He's been chasing hurricanes since 2004. I recorded interviews with these guys during the second half of Hurricane Ian's Fury. This interview with John captures his thoughts on his first hurricane chase. I'm here back in the same parking garage in Punta Gorda, Florida. We're still getting hammered by strong winds from Hurricane Ian. I'm with John. John, this is your first hurricane chase, huh? It is, and uh, it's been a blast thus far. Um, It's a new experience, but uh, I'm definitely enjoying it. So you have a big background in chasing severe weather, like tornadoes and and things like that on the plains, right? Yes. So uh, conventionally, I am a tornado chaser, and I've been doing that for officially on YouTube for about a year, and uh, I've gotten quite a few tornadoes I was on the December 10th uh, Mayfield events and uh, you know I started getting subs kind of hinting you know I should try a hurricane so I I figured I'd entertain it so how does a hurricane feel different to you than tornadoes so the main distinction to me is it's definitely more of a slow but constant if that makes sense um, type of event where tornadoes are usually quicker to form and dissipate obviously a lot quicker the hurricane it definitely felt slow but very steady just a very lateral increase in uh, intensity that's right it's ramping up for hours and then how long have we been in hurricane force winds now here on the back side it's been i don't know two hours plus or something oh absolutely two maybe even a little more two and a half hours and intense gusts too i mean these aren't little uh gust this is uh definitely the real deal yeah that's uh so did you know that you were going to be doing hurricane chasing this year or was this like a last minute decision uh, walk walk us through your decision to come here and how that played out where you came from and all that good stuff absolutely so um it was absolutely 110 percent a last minute decision uh as i'm sure you're well aware tornado season didn't perform to the expectations that us chasers have now obviously that's a great thing for the you know people that live in tornado alley but us as chasers it was a little bit of a lackluster year um so you know people started letting me know you know mezzo you know you should maybe consider uh a hurricane so I was like well you know okay I'll think about it but um obviously uh models started hinting towards uh the development of Ian and uh 
before we knew it, um, it looked like it was going to be a major hurricane. And uh, so I kind of got um, shoved into the mix gently, but uh, definitely with no regrets. How did you decide where to go? I mean, were you looking to get like right in the middle of the eye? Were you looking to get maybe on one of the eye walls? Were you looking for more uh, wind events, eye experience, flooding? I mean, what were you looking for? So I had two plans of actions. Uh, the first, if if it was it's going to be a less than a major hurricane, so either a one or two or possibly a tropical storm, um, I would hope for the tornado threat, and that that would be my concentration. Still, you know, feeling out what a tropical cyclone is about, you know, learn. In the event it became a three, four, or a five, the plan was uh, to somehow get into the. Um, you know the eye wall experience then hopefully get into the eye um and just to keep it brief uh luckily for me i have a good friend that um lives you know right smack in um tropical center lack of better terminology and uh he's been advising me thus far you know what to look for what a rapid intensification trend uh looks like and certain things i needed to pay attention to so i definitely had uh, some great support um you know with uh, my colleagues and friends and you, you made a good choice. We were right here. We got some time in the eye, but we also got to experience two eye walls. So not bad for your first chase. Oh, for my uh, first chase, I, I definitely uh, consider this a 10 out of 10. And uh, obviously, you know, you know, making friends with you and uh, our uh, other buddy, Jose, it made it even more sweet. And uh, you guys did bring a little bit of level of confidence for me. So uh, that, that was awesome, too. So I definitely have to say this is going to be a new uh, theme for my channel. And uh, I'm excited. John, what, what did it feel like? What, and then the back eye wall there, it looked like we were getting sustained. Jose thinks probably low-end category four winds. I mean, it was ripping there for a while, complete whiteout. What was going through your mind when you are recording that? So uh, I'll just be blunt here. Um, I was a little, you know, with the, the first half, I was like, okay. But when we got into that second half, that was a, that was an eye-opener. You know, that's when, you know, the fun and games started, you know, going into, okay, I got to be careful. I got to be mindful about this, you know, and uh, obviously we started seeing debris flying through the air and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. We saw the debris and uh, it definitely got intense there. Um, I, I would like to highlight, though, it was a surprise to me. Um, you know, I, I don't have a strong knowledge yet on hurricanes. So, you know, I always assumed the first half is going to be the worst, but the second half, it really surprised me. I've heard chasers say before sometimes the second half can be worse and people have stories of that. I, I haven't experienced it really until this one. The second half, I think the winds were really ripping there uh, more so than the first half. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I wish we were able to uh, measure the winds. Uh, it would be hard to, to approximate what the winds were, but it definitely felt like a Category 4. It definitely felt like what a major hurricane, uh, what I believed it to be. It was a definitely eye-opening. Well, John, I'm glad you came down here. I hope to see you on future chases and uh, best of luck both chasing hurricanes and tropical weather as too. You, you're, uh, foc you're focused there on the plains a lot, right? I think you live in Oklahoma now, so I imagine you'll be out there next spring chasing tornadoes, hail, and severe weather as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a convective guy, but I think tropical now is definitely going to be a thing. I'll be always uh, in the plains, and I do live in um, uh, Oklahoma. Um, I'm a New Yorker, but uh, I moved uh, down to Norman, Oklahoma, right next to the Storm Prediction Center to do all this. You're in a good spot for chasing tornadoes. Well, last question for you. Any advice for people that go tornado chasing, that want to see big events on the plains? I mean, I know I know big hail is a concern that people have. Any, any advice on maybe young professionals or students that want to get out there and chase severe storms and tornadoes? 
Absolutely. Um, probably the biggest advice I would have is uh, definitely learn your radar product. Um, your radar products are going to be your eyes uh, for the storm. Um, as you know, tornadoes, we, we visualize them and we interpret them by what they show us. But, you know, that's an uh, exception, not the standard. We use our radar products to give us glimpses let it be you know we're in the middle of a hail core or it's a nocturnal chase or a drain wrap so the biggest advice i would like to emphasize on is definitely learn all the radar products let it be reflectivity velocity obviously uh coalition coefficient those are going to be crucial to keeping you safe and um you know that's probably very big for me yeah. John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Best of wishes on the rest of this hurricane and safe trip back home. Thank you so much. Uh, likewise with you. And uh, I'm excited uh, to do this again. Wow, John, thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. A few perspectives on some things that John shared there. Number one, I'm sure you can hear the excitement in his voice. He was really enjoying his first hurricane chase. I wanted to clarify that storm chasers like John get really excited about extreme weather, but in no way are they happy that people lost their lives or their homes during this catastrophic storm. This distinction must be stated because it may seem to be disconnected from the reactions of most people to storms. Most people think that they're unfortunate negative experiences that they wish would just go away. However, storm chasers get really excited about these storms and love documenting them, whether they're hurricanes, tornadoes, or blizzards in the wintertime. Please understand that storm chasers are focused on experiencing and learning more about extreme weather, enjoying the display from mother nature, while still feeling compassion and empathy for storm victims. For a weather enthusiast, riding out the eyewall of a major hurricane is an absolute thrill, and their documentation of storm events can help increase our collective knowledge of the science, which can lead to improved forecasting and warnings. Number two, John talked about the long duration of Hurricane Ian. Hurricanes are certainly longer duration events than tornadoes and severe weather that John was used to chasing on the plains, but Hurricane Ian was even a long event for a tropical system. We were in hurricane force winds for around seven or eight hours minus the 75 minutes in the eye. It was a really long duration event. John mentioned subs on his YouTube channel. These are subscribers who regularly follow his content and had some suggestions about future content and even suggested that he maybe consider chasing a hurricane and that influenced his decision to come to Hurricane Ian. Uh, number four, I also conducted an interview with a guy named Jose Garcia after I talked to John. Uh, we were all in the parking garage together. Jose has been chasing hurricanes since 2004, so I was curious to hear how he framed Hurricane Ian in a larger context of previous hurricanes he has experienced. I'm here really in the midst of Hurricane Ian, a Category 4 hurricane that hit Southwest Florida today. I'm in Punta Gorda, Florida, where I made a friend named Jose. Jose, you've been chasing storms for a long time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Hal. I appreciate that. So, uh, you know, we were just talking, comparing storms, and you were going back to, like, George back in 98. So you, how long have you been at this? Well, I, I started chasing proper in 2004 uh, with uh, legendary storm chaser Jim Leonard. He was like... A friend and a mentor and he he said hey don't why don't you join me and so I, I was living in Puerto Rico back then and so I flew to Florida and <laughs> chased 2004 was a really busy year in Florida you you said you chased Gene and Francis on the uh, East Coast just Francis uh, Gene I actually got hit directly at home by Gene in Puerto Rico that's right it hit Puerto Rico Florida. yeah uh, what was it like doing your first chase I mean do you have memories from that yeah I, I, I was thrilled and Francis was barely a category two and we never got 
that high anyway. We got the category one conditions, but it, it was wonderful. We got in the eye. It was just a thrill. And, you Grow, know, growing up in Puerto Rico, you must have gone through some hurricanes as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my first storm actually was uh, at four years old, Hurricane Hugo in 1989, category four actually. It hit uh, Puerto Rico, the eastern tip of Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands, devastated the islands. And I got to, in my area, we got hurricane conditions. And I have memories from the storm, even at four years old. It's one of my first memories. Well, so so that kind of set the stage for you. You're right. You're right. And uh, that, and then the 1995 hurricane season, uh, which was the first active, the first big season of this active period yeah. of, of Atlantic hurricane seasons began in 95. And the Caribbean got two major threats, Hurricane Louis, Hurricane Marilyn. Yeah. And Marilyn actually hit part of Puerto Rico and the Virgin it devastated St. Thomas. And um, that year I started collecting like newspaper clips, tracking maps. So that's when I really got, at 10 years old, that's when I really got into uh, full-time tracking of hurricanes. You were really like following the storms then? Yes, yes. From the 1995 onwards, it was all craziness. So today we were talking about really your most memorable storms and you keep coming back to Maria in 2017 in Puerto Rico. Yes, yes. Maria, uh, almost a category five. It was an upper end category four when it hit. I actually got to chase a storm in, in Umacao, which is in a, a city in the east coast of Puerto Rico, which got hit directly by the strongest winds in the storm. And uh, it was, there are no words to really describe experiencing a storm like that is it was insane sustained winds were near 150 and you were near the coast where that happened right yes yes i was in a hilly area about four miles from the coast but the first hills that look at the at the ocean so uh we got we, we got a good hit and uh, the eyewall came fresh from the coast what, uh, what was that like being in an upper level category four eyewall it was incredible you know the storm, the eyewall came uh, during darkness at 4 in the morning, between 4 and 5 in the morning. So uh, it was a lot of uh, worrying for me for the logistics to remain safe <laughs> and being able to film. Uh, and I, I went to a, a relative's house with, with a nice garage in that area. And I put the car with the headlights on so I could film the storm. Uh, and the, the winds I estimated in the 140 to 150 mile an hour range, more likely around 150 on the peak. And the wind gusts were easily over 160, 175 possibly. It was just uh, a very intense hit and the damage uh, was consistent with an upper category four intensity hurricane. I've heard people say that often people will build stronger in the Caribbean because they get so many hits. But when you get to upper level Cat 4, it's really hard to do anything to prepare for that. I mean, how did Puerto Rico really weather Maria? I know there were some big impacts, but what about what you saw in that area with the really strong upper Cat 4 winds? Uh, usually if you build concrete, uh, the houses are able to withstand those extreme conditions. There may be damage to windows and doors or from the brief line. Uh, but some houses, there was, I saw a picture of a house that was poorly, clearly poorly built, a concrete house, that the concrete ceiling was partly ripped by the hurricane. But to be fair, the house was in one of the hills facing the ocean where the storm made landfall and 
it's possible that if the winds were 155 at sea level, that they got category five conditions at three to 500 feet above sea level, sure. see? Uh, so it could have been that they just got some extreme winds as a result. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it was just such an intense hurricane hitting much of the island there in, in 2017. Yes, yes. 2017 was one of the worst seasons possibly in history. Uh, you got Harvey devastating Texas. You have Irma getting the Caribbean, the Bahamas, Cuba, Florida. And then you have Maria wiping out Dominica because it hit Dominica before it hit right. in Puerto Rico. And in Dominica was a Category 5 hit, actually. It was officially. really bad there. Yes, they measure 100 over 160 miles an hour officially <laughs> in the airport which is a, quite a measurement and uh, then it hit Puerto Rico it also hit uh, it's funny the Virgin Islands Irma hit the Northern Virgin Islands like St. Thomas and St. John and the British Virgin Islands and Maria hit the, the remainder the remainder Virgin Island that was spared from Irma which was St. Croix so it's like everywhere kind of got Every, hit. Yeah, everyone got a piece in 2017. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. How did Ian today? How did that compare to Maria or other storms that you've chased? To me, it's comparable to Maria. Uh, probably slightly less intense here, where we experienced the storm in, yeah. in in Punta Gorda. Maybe comparable. We'll have to see the damage from the uh, barrier islands uh, when the storm made landfall. It was probably comparable, but you know, the winds were 150 operationally. We'll see whenever, you know, the post assessment by the Hurricane Center to see if they bring it up or keep it at 150. Uh, so it was a comparable storm in terms of winds. Uh, in, in personally, Maria was to me uh, slightly uh, stronger in the first half. Uh, and the second half of Maria was comparable to this one this one was probably even better in my in my view this is my best in terms of footage this is my best hurricane experience just because this i got to get yeah i got to get i got to get clear footage day full daytime hurricane back uh front half the eye and the back side yeah, it was like the whole story you know this was a, this was a textbook hurricane experience so in in that regard Personally, Ian is even, you know, uh, it's probably in terms of quality of the footage yeah. better for me than Maria, yeah. which hit partly at night. I couldn't get fully in the eye, Maria. Yeah. But in terms of the the intensity of the winds, Maria had a little edge on, on Ian. It, it seemed like the, the second half was stronger here than the first half, and it came in like it came in so fast. You said that happened in Georgia in 98. Is that right? Yes. I, I, it, it was a very similar experience. Uh, it was like a five-minute window coming from gale force winds to extreme conditions, total white. Just so fast how the how the second half came in. It was amazing, you know. It's uh, and like George, the second half was stronger than the first half. Yeah. Uh, how, how often have you seen the second half stronger than the first half? It's it's hard to tell. Uh, usually. In the deep tropics, the second half, when they're moving from east to west, right, moving west or west-northwest, as they usually do in the Caribbean, the second half tends to be stronger just because the right front quadrant or the right quadrant is on the second half. Uh, but in the, in the U.S., when the storms are usually recurving, 
usually the front half is the stronger one but in this in the case of Ian just like the case of Charlie it's incredible same location 18 yeah. years apart both around Punta Gorda I, identical intensities the only difference is the size of the storm and the, and the tracking speed yeah. uh, in which Charlie was racing northeast but Charlie had a second half that was arguably stronger than the first half just like this one one more question for you Jose we're, we're here in a parking garage um, so the the duration of this this is a large slow-moving hurricane is this a lot longer duration than you've seen or have you seen longer than this this kind of reminds me a little of Maria it was a long duration storm as well but Maria was moving at around 10 miles an hour or so uh, this one's probably longer duration. I think this one's moving at what eight, or eight or nine. Yeah, it's fairly slow. Yeah, yeah. So this was a long duration, lots of damage, uh, and, and and we'll see about the flooding. We'll we'll know tomorrow. Jose, you've been really passionate about hurricanes and tropical weather for a long time. So you've been in a lot of communities that have gotten hit really hard. Do you have any insights for our listeners on how people can be better prepared, maybe how they can build better? I mean, what are your thoughts from your decades of chasing hurricanes? Yeah, I, I think it's, it takes uh, government, private sector, and uh, you know, NGOs to work together uh, to make communities more resilient to, to survive. Uh, and not only hurricanes, but you know, like uh, all these climate events, like coastal flooding, right? that is like Louisiana have you seen you know what's going on in Louisiana with the with the islands being disappearing as we speak so it, it, it takes the entire society to build up and we have good examples in Japan in uh, Taiwan uh, which built for typhoons <laughs> they you know they are if we really want to build for hurricanes uh, they are a very good example to, to follow also Bermuda, Bermuda has a very good, uh, and the Cayman Islands have good building codes. Yeah, I've heard there are places especially that frequently get hit by strong tropical cyclones. They often build for this stuff. Yes. Maybe we can learn and, and follow the way they're doing it. Yes, yes indeed. And it, it's a large investment at first, but in the longer term, it's, uh, it's less costly for the country to, have him, to, to fund all these billion dollar disasters which are increasing every decade you mean building more with concrete yeah oh yeah that's one and also trying to make grids on the ground whatever possible that helps uh yeah making grids on the ground yes yeah, like the, the electrical grid which is a very expensive undertaking but oh, putting it underground oh yes but if if it can be done one community at a time or when you build a new community that would be like having guidelines that okay you're building you need to build the community to be resilient you know yeah, maybe it costs a little bit more up front but someone was telling me recently it costs more to build a wood house twice than to build a concrete house once you know so it's yeah. that idea if you're thinking long term maybe building more resilient makes sense yes and they're doing it you know in the coast FEMA you know FEMA whenever they give grant money for rebuilding houses in the barrier islands they're asking for them to be built on, on um, columns and pylons and that's part of the plan to be, make communities more resilient to Jose thanks for taking time man it was really good to meet you here you're a friendly guy and uh, it was a, a lot of fun to chase this storm together and document it it was pretty intense there for a while I had a blast with you <laughs> it was fun
Safe travel, travels back, and I hope to see you in a future storm. Thanks. I'll see you in the next storm. Jose, wow. How cool to go back with you in time and hear about your recollections of Hurricane Landfalls back to the late 1990s. Really cool history there. It sounds like for Jose, this was his best documentation of a hurricane as the first eye wall, the eye passage, and the second eye wall all hit during daylight. He said Ian's winds in the second eye wall were comparable to what he experienced in Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico in 2017. His suggestions about how to build better for hurricane impacts were excellent. He talked about government, the private sector, and nonprofits coming together to coordinate better planning and building. He mentioned how we could model our efforts and building and planning after East Asia, a place very well adapted for typhoon strikes. He also mentioned how putting electric lines underground could help reduce power outages and speed recovery. After Ian winded down that Wednesday night, I had another night of car camping in the garage. I think all of the chasers did the same thing. FYI for new storm chasers out there, when a hurricane wraps up in the dark, you'll be much safer to car camp in a secure location like a parking garage than to drive around on dark roads with no street lights, navigating debris to find a hotel. In a big hit like Ian, you'd have to go a long way to find a hotel with power. It just makes sense to shelter in place in a safe location for the night. The next morning brought bright sunshine and a conversation with a woman named Elaine, who I interviewed when I drove down to North Fort Myers. I found that North Fort Myers experienced devastating wind damage, whereas the southern part of the city, down by southern Fort Myers and Fort Myers Beach, observed both wind damage and flooding from storm surge inundation. We're here in uh, North Fort Myers, Elaine. Uh, so this was quite a big storm here, Hurricane Ian. Oh, it was incredible. It was just, and it was never ending. It was just, I want to say the wind stopped maybe around 11 last night. Wow. And it started around 12.30, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So you had maybe 10 or 11 hours of really strong it was, wind. It was awful. You, We tried to go out maybe around 10 o'clock at night but as soon as we did another big gust would come it, it just was incredible you said this was really long duration compared to a storm like charlie that also hit with a lot with strong winds but went through quickly right yes oh yeah they, i mean i was for charlie i was basically there were two houses that got damaged and as you can see, nobody escaped damage from the swing. In this area, it looks like every house has major damage. Every roofs, carports, it's just incredible. People, it's just, it's so devastating. Elaine, I asked you how many people left, and you said for Irma five years ago, almost everyone left, but this time not as many people evacuated. No, no. I mean, a good amount did, but definitely more people stayed. Why do you think people stayed for this and not for Irma? Um, I think. They felt it wasn't going to hit. It was going to stay more to the west, and, and then yeah, it, the, and then it turned to the east. And but up until let's see, today's Thursday, uh, maybe Tuesday, they were talking. It was going west. More Tampa. More Tampa. Tampa was going to get hit really bad, and then all of a sudden, it must have been Tuesday night. Oh, there's a turn, it's going sure. east. Then it was more east. Sarasota and, and Venice, and then more eventually coming in by Florida yeah. and, and really the worst of it, I yeah. think, was Fort Myers and yeah. I I feel we got a lot of the eye here. I really oh, do. Okay. It's yes. just never. It's, 
and and we're not these homes have been here for 30 years 35 years so do you think some a lot of homes took on damage in this storm that they did not take damage from charlie uh yes definitely so this is the worst that y'all have seen in yes here. oh yeah yeah. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Thanks for your insights on there. Yeah. It will help. Do, lastly, do you feel like Irma was not as bad as people expected? And so maybe some of them thought, well, I've, um, I've weathered a hurricane before. I'll be I okay. I think Irma, they kept talking about the surge, and I don't think that I happened. Think they exaggerated Irma. Yeah. So yeah. That's they kind of. But yeah, Irma definitely was nothing like this. Yeah. You like, know, so, and it didn't last as long. It was during the night, if I remember, the Irma. Time on this. It went yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. It lasted a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would just wouldn't stop. I was in Punta Gorda, and it just kept going and going, you know? Yeah. It yeah. just was, you know, yeah. you're like, stop, stop. But it just wouldn't stop. Thanks, Elaine, for sharing. I appreciate it. All right. It. Be I careful. I hope for a quick recovery. Both Jose and Elaine shared about the long duration of Hurricane Ian. This was important for several reasons. In 2004, Hurricane Charlie made landfall at the same location, Cayo Costa near Fort Myers, also as a Cat 4 hurricane. But Charlie and Ian had some major differences. Ian's large geographic size and slow forward motion meant that the hurricane force winds slammed locations for a much longer duration during Hurricane Ian. Long-duration hurricanes inflict more wind damage because some trees and building materials fail late in the storm from the cumulative stress of the wind over a long time. Long-duration hurricanes often dump more rain as well, and more trees fall as, as the wind stress is really hitting them in waterlogged soil. Large, slow-moving hurricanes also generate higher storm surges than smaller, fast-moving hurricanes like Charlie. This is a big reason why Ian pushed a lot more storm surge than Charlie did way back in 2004. This difference may have been fatal to some, who may have thought that their home is safe from storm surge because they weathered Category 4 Hurricane Charlie with no surge. So when Category 4 Ian showed up, they thought they were not in danger. News reports have shared the heartbreaking reality that Ian was pushing a catastrophic storm surge that inundated communities from Sanibel Island and Fort Myers Beach to Naples, including densely populated southern parts of Fort Myers and Cape Coral. On my first surveillance of this area, I encountered numerous abandoned cars and entire neighborhoods that were flooded. Don't miss out on next week's GeoTrek podcast when I'll bring you some survival stories, insights, and perspectives from storm survivors of Hurricane Ian's storm surge. This surge impacted tens of thousands of people, cut off the causeway to Sanibel Island, and put into motion at least three days of search and rescue operations. We'll have more stories on the ground in the next week's episode of the GeoTrek podcast. We'll also get into talking a little bit about how to build better. One of the things I really do after a hurricane is try to really observe what buildings performed well and what buildings did not perform well and any insights I can give you on how to build better uh, from this work on the ground in Hurricane Ian. I'll bring that to you as well in the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. Thanks to John, Jose, and Elaine for their insights in this week's episode. We wish Elaine and her neighbors a quick recovery from this devastating storm over there in North Fort Myers. On behalf of the GeoTrek podcast team, this is Dr. Hal. I'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.